Welcome to Travel Writers Radio. I'm your host, Graham Kemlow, bringing you authentic, independent stories about the people behind the food, wine, lifestyle and travel experiences around the corner or around the world. We're a team of storytellers here, hoping to not only inform, but inspire. And we're here on J-Air every Wednesday from 5pm to 7pm. I'm joined in the hosting role tonight by our culinary editor, Dame Rita Ehrlich, who was... uh, (laughs) He was. She was away, but she got a gong from King Charles recently. Congratulations, Rita. Thank you. There is nothing like a dame, as you know. Uh, I've heard you refer to as the culinary queen, but I thought maybe a dame's even better. <laughs> That's fantastic effort. And what, what was it for, Rita? It was for significant service to tourism and the hospitality industry in well, Victoria. Well, there you go. There you go. Have you worked out who caused it yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, okay. Well, you'll be able to sit up there with Clive Scott, your mate from Sofitel, who's about to depart <laughs> soon. And you both got the uh, you both got a gong now. That's right. And and it was lovely. Monique Ryan, who's our local member, the federal member for Kuyong, invited all those in the electorate that had got gongs, and it was terrific to meet everyone. And it was it was rather fun because there were a couple of people I knew, someone who'd worked with me, she remembered in 1988, um, and so we talked about that. And what was striking was that pretty well everyone talked about sort of 40 years and more of experience in what they'd been doing. Right. So I, I had a really strong feeling that the awards, certainly in Kuyong, were made for a lifetime's work. Right. Well, I'm not hanging out for a gong for being a radio host, but we will take all the credit for the fact that you got one. <laughs> you get my gong, Graham. Thank you, Rita. Now, let's tell our listener what's coming up on the show tonight. Well, in Travel Writers Radio tonight, we take you to Bali, first of all, the Indonesian holiday island Aussies love, maybe a little too much, and the governor's not happy, so we're checking in with correspondent Suzanne Hart. New York, where correspondent Phil Brown talks about the re-election chances of the elephant in the room of the Republicans, with indictments probably imminent. And Dublin, Ireland, from which I've just returned, finding it full of change since I last visited before COVID. And in our second hour, after six o'clock, Richard Leslie, an amazing thing, interviews a seven-year-old from the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago, a girl who's already had four books published. Cruise ship expert Douglas Ward believes that the industry's insistence on digital technology may be turning some passengers off. And Graham Kemlow, that's you, speaks with journalist Justine Costigan, who instead of the usual travel writer's flying visit, truly got immersed in a foreign culture by spending a month in language school in Italy. That looks like a good line-up, Rita, and it's all coming up on this episode of Travel Writers Radio, brought to you by a great team of dedicated travel writers and broadcasters, members of Palette, the professional association of lifestyle and travel writers. Now, this is the original Travel Writers show, you know, and... uh, we're giving you listening choices. It's entirely up to you how you choose to listen. It could be on FM radio. It could be on SoundCloud, on Spotify as a podcast, or on your favourite podcast platform. The other option is on the internet live at j-air.com.au. And, of course, the radio frequency is 88 FM here in Melbourne. You could be in the car, on the train, walking the dog. We don't mind. We provide the inspiration you add the imagination. 
Usually the last way to get a story on Travel Writers Radio is to create a survey and send us the results. Too often, the alleged survey just happens to fit the needs of a public relation person's client, so it doesn't pass the test, not the sniff test, not the pub test, no test, we just bin it. But occasionally, one comes along that might actually prove useful to our listeners and is likely to be true. One such survey this week details some hacks to keep your travel costs down. And who are we to uh, walk away from a good hack? Arguably, we're all interested in that, whether it's for business or leisure, saving money, that is. Now, the survey comes from the small business sector of the large, maybe huge, I should say, Flight Centre Travel Group. Specifically, it comes from Saskia Boxham, the New South Wales and ACT Head of Customer Success for the Corporate Traveller Division. Now, they've got about 6,500 businesses who make their travel arrangements through them. So the findings and recommendations that uh, they've come up with are interesting. These are wonderful hacks. First one, you can save up to 20% on airfares by booking 8 to 14 days ahead. Corporate travellers' own experience shows that the cheapest domestic airfares are those booked 8 to 14 days before departure. Airlines tend to release cheaper seats around this time to fill their flights. I hope you're all taking this down because you can check us out and you're welcome to get in touch. The second one is book flights on the quarter hour or half hour for cheaper fares. Now, a veteran business flyer swears by this rule and they put this down to the fact that it's a classic supply and demand issue. People generally want to leave on the hour. And so flights on the hour are more costly because they are more in demand. So if you're prepared to go at 10 past or 20 past or whatever it is, that's absolutely worth a try. Rita. And you have to get to the airport at much the same time anyway. You do. Uh, next one, book early week flights. Google Flights data show that on average, flights that depart on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday have been 12% cheaper than weekend departures. This hack will be more useful for business travellers who have the flexibility to book early week meetings. Late week flights, while more expensive, come with other bonuses. A traveller may be paying more for a Friday flight, but they have the added advantage of tacking on a weekend away in that destination. Here's an interesting one. I've I've been threatening to do a piece on the loyalty reward programs. I wonder if you or I, Rita, would actually bend down to pick up a frequent flyer point if it was lying on the street, because Uh, they are fractions of a cent. Uh, yeah, we we need to discuss this one, I well, think. Well, we've got to get a guru in because I just don't understand it, but to be really honest with you. Now, the suggestion from Corporate Traveller, part of Flight Centre, is stick to one or two airline rewards programs. Now, it is tempting to sign up to every rewards program out there, but they are suggesting, they recommend maximising just one or two of the major ones and grow your membership status within them. The most covetous perks in these programs, such as your choice uh, to pick a seat, you get extra luggage allowance, you can go to the business lounge, they're available for members who reach the gold or platinum status. So their suggestion is, well, put your efforts into being gold or platinum in one or both of the major airlines. Read Useful advice. Now, the next one's fascinating. Use the five-block rule to cut costs for city bookings. To save on hotels and restaurants in cities, avoid booking within five blocks of the CBD. When looking for an alternative, choose areas with good public transport and easy access back into the CBD. I'm not sure about that one. Um, That would put us, say, in South Melbourne or somewhere, wouldn't it? East Melbourne, South Melbourne. But there's not a lot of hotel choice there. Uh, there is a bit in East Melbourne, not a great deal. I think it depends very much on the city. Yeah, I, I think they actually were probably referring to Sydney, to be honest. But anyway, um, maybe that's worth a try because the, the heart of the city is generally going to be the more expensive part. Now, the next point is flexibility trumps loyalty. What was I saying about loyalty programs? Flexibility trumps loyalty if you want to cut costs. Now, sticking to the same hotel group or airline because you're on a loyalty program can give you some unique perks and deals, 
but may not equate to cheaper travel over the year. They're suggesting you regularly compare prices with other travel providers to ensure you're getting the best value. I think that's a valuable point. We haven't told you every single item on their list, but these are the ones that appealed most to us. This is the Travel Writer Show on J-Air 88FM in Melbourne. The governor of the holiday island of Bali recently threatened a ban on anyone climbing Bali's mountains, including locals. But we asked Bali correspondent Suzanne Hart about the reaction on the island when this news filtered out through social media. It's also important for the thousands of Australian visitors currently up there or on their way for the school holidays. Another story from the governor. This time he's threatening um, people who climb mountains in Bali that they'll be hurled out the door. Is this some religious sort of connotation to this or what? Is it just that we're a risky lot? What's the story? (laughs) Well, there's actually a couple of answers to that question, if I may. And I was just reading about it this morning in my Sanoa Weekly, um, which is a, you know, basically our local community newspaper. And one of the things I was reading is that I'm... I cannot recall the man's name who is challenging and prepared to go to court to challenge Governor Costa and this ruling that he is talking about making because the impact on the surrounding area and the local tourism will be massive. It, it would be basically taking us back to the COVID times, of course, because if people are not allowed to, you know, trekking to up to Mount Batos and to around that area, Kintamani and, and Ubud and those areas that are really, really encouraging tourists to come along and really see that's the true heart of Bali that we all know it to be. Yeah. And so I think it's important that we kind of cut, like it always is, we, we cut down the middle of this and kind of divide and separate and go, okay, what is the real issue going on here? As you know, and it's been very well distributed amongst social media and the press. There were some people behaving pretty badly up here. And not, and not all Australians, by the way. And, in fact, Australians behaving badly are way down on the list Almost, of... Yeah. Uh, however, the people who are behaving most badly are foreigners uh, that don't come from Australia. So there has been a, a lot of press about this, a lot, a lot of social media about this. Uh, the, there, there is always two schools of thought when it comes to this you can do as governor costa has suggested shut it down and don't let anybody go and do this anymore or you can educate people into what's important about the balinese culture why the sites are significant and really that's where we all want to go doesn't it there's no point in us saying and condemning people and saying you know you you should have known better it was up to us as people in the tourism leisure hospitality industries to help educate those people who come here it is stunning to us as people who live here that those tourists who are the offenders could even have entertained the ideas of the pranks that they've got up to for social media. Mm. It's just beyond comprehension to us because doesn't everybody get themselves informed before they go no, to they a, don't, a, obviously. A, yeah. a... Clearly, you know, and, it, and it's so... I would have really hoped in 2023 that people would have made sure that they uh, were a little more informed about the the local customs and the local cultures. Yeah. So coming back from Australia the other day, so it, it, honestly, the short the short answer, Graham, is it's not going to happen right. because the people in Karangasam and around that area, Gyanya, around those areas, it will be devastating for the locals. It, also, it wasn't just tourists. It was there was a blanket you will you shall not pass. So for the people who live around those areas, this is you know that that's their sacred areas where they go to for ceremonies and they have you know their their own very um, very tight connection to the area so it's not going it's not going to happen basically so without putting too fine a point on it does it involve uh, alcoholic beverage or removal of clothing or what what's the sort of real issue it's pretty much um well so as we know alcoholic beverages was really you know front and center with that uh australian up in archer sorry up in sumatra which is very close to 
um, Aceh and a very um, devout Muslim area. It's yeah. well, no, well, well known from no. any of us. Yeah, it's good considerably luck to him. lightened, which mm. is great. But um, yeah, uh, I mean, but we're not talking about mountaineers or we're no, talking about average no, visitors. Yeah, we are talking about average visitors, and we oh. were t- we are talking about. You know, this is social media used for evil as far as I'm concerned. You know, the number of influencers that are out there trying to earn their money uh, by going and posting crazy videos, doing things that really are dangerous and shouldn't be done and pushing things to the right to the limit. So these are people taking off their clothes, literally taking off their clothes and embracing a tree. Uh, They're people going to the top of, trekking to the top of the mountains, dropping their pants. I guess they think that's funny. I don't know. So it it really is just about people literally behaving so badly um, on sacred sites. I think we welcome the governor shot over the bow and those Mm. who respect Mm. the culture that they go to visit wouldn't entertain that sort of an idea. But I guess we just have to try and educate uh, the visitor to to that. Well, that's exactly right. And what's happening now, so having just come back on Monday from Australia, mm. first of all, I just uh, some words of advice to those people who are listening who may well be coming up to our beautiful yeah, island. And on, this, yeah, well, it's, it's about to be, um, I'd say, Inundated. most importantly, yeah. pack your patience. Uh, right. The airport was the busiest that I've seen it since pre-pandemic. And right. every single one of the... Um, the uh, immigration booths was open right. and yet the queues were still going back a couple of hundred people on each line. Okay. So pack your patience, make sure that you don't come with that grumpy attitude that says, you know, this is ridiculous and how come I'm waiting so long because no, there are I'm other tired. countries in the world. <laughs> there are other countries in the world yeah, where you have right. to wait just as long. Yeah. So it's uh, Bali is back uh, definitely back in popularity with uh, people and now there are big signs and uh, notices everywhere about basically this is how you be a good tourist. Okay. So it's, you know, the, the people who have some influence are doing their best to make sure that people are informed and that's okay. the best we can hope for. All right. Beautiful. So keep your clothes on. Don't keep <laughs> your thongs on if you're on a motorbike. Wear something smarter than that. Wear a helmet. Uh, yes. Drive on the correct side of the road. I nearly said the right side of the road. The correct side of the road. And, um, well, you know, say please and thank you. What else is there? Oh, and just, you know, the Balinese people are such wonderful people and they're so happy to have such great, you know, such a large amount of people back on the island, Graham. It's mm. just, you know, the, it, the agro and that, that kind of wound up entitled attitude that comes from, unfortunately, with so many travellers. It's yeah. just, just just stop and realise. Let's, let's count our blessings, shall we? Two years ago, nobody was going anywhere. So I see it as a great opportunity for Absolutely. us all. Suzanne Hart was speaking with Graham Kemlo. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. But I'm taking a Greyhound. On the Hudson River line I'm in a New York state of mind I've seen all the movie stars In their fancy cars and their limousines Been high in the Rockies Under the Everglades I know what I'm needing And I don't want to waste more time I'm in a New York state of mind It was so easy living day by day Out of touch With the rhythm and blues But now I need a little give and take The New York Times 
the daily news It comes down to reality And it's fine with me Cause I've let it slide Don't care if it's Chinatown Or Rock Riverside I don't have any reason Left them all behind I'm in a New York state of mind thought we'd check in with New York resident expat Phil Brown, particularly as things appear to be heating up in the battle for the Republican Party nomination and, in turn, for the White House. Phil says Donald Trump faces a number of federal indictments, but not all of those would prevent him standing for office or running the White House from a prison cell. So it's always great to speak to Phil Brown, our uh, New York correspondent. G'day, Phil. G'day, Graham. How are you? I'm well, mate. Lovely to talk to you again. We've, you've probably been on summer holiday, have you, over there? Well, it is summer. Uh, the kids have uh, finished their school for the year, so they're on vacation now for a, a month or so. Have they finished junior high now? Are they about to go to senior high? Where, where are they at? They're at sort of senior high school. They'll be seniors next year, so that's their last year of high school, and right. then off to uh, off to university. So we're looking at all of the options uh, around New York and uh, other states, Philadelphia and New Hampshire and uh, other areas, and also looking at some back home as well. Okay. Might uh, might head them back and. I understand Melbourne University actually ranked as one of the highest yes, I think uh, it is. quality um, unis in the world. Yeah, University of Melbourne for medicine is huge, but um, yeah. they may not be into that scene, I I'm not sure. Anyway, we've talked about that before, and it's good to hear that they've uh, they've come through the, the American school system uh, <laughs> relatively unscathed, eh? Yes, they have. They're, they've done well, actually. Yeah, they've done really well. So oh, very proud of what hear, they're mate. doing. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Now, Phil, I think any time I talk to you, it's almost impossible to ignore the elephant in the room. What is happening <laughs> with Donald J. Trump? Will the man be the repeat president of the United States of America? Well, I, I think, Graham, uh, there's... There's no question that he will be the nominee. You know, if you look at the competition, it's really you know DeSantis and uh, Chris Christie that he's really competing against for the nomination, and I think he has them both covered. People can't stand DeSantis outside of uh, Florida, so you know negatively vice, geared. The, negatively he's geared. Vice president is not going to run, or doesn't stand a chance. No, no, no. She's uh, sorry. The, no, um, Mike Pence doesn't Mike Pence. Uh, doesn't stand a chance. Right. No. It's interesting. The Republican Party seems yeah. to have caved into the demands of Donald Trump, even though he almost thumbs his nose at the party in one sense, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He uh, very much in control. There is still, you know, the majority of the party just look to him and bow down to uh, anything that he says. He owns the biggest, you know, he, his core or his base really is the biggest sort of segment of the Republican base. He controls that with an iron fist. They love him to death and no one can really compete with it. Right. You know, as I said, Chris Christie is going to give him a hard time on the campaign trail, but he won't get the votes. And DeSantis, as I said, he's popular in Florida, but outside that, no one likes him. He's got sort of negatively geared charisma, basically. So um, he doesn't seem to have any chance of winning. So it's going to be Trump against Biden. And, you know, the polls are saying it's only about a 5 or 6% difference. So it's going to be close. Okay. The only yep. thing that could stop him would be, you know, probably Trump being locked up at some stage. Yes, and I gather from a conversation I had with a with an American citizen recently, he can virtually commit a murder and still stand for president and run the office from jail. 
<laughs> well, you can, yes. That's unbelievable. I, I don't think that could happen in Australia. I think there's a certain level of criminality which disqualifies you here, but that's not, yeah. not true in the US? or Well, no, unless there are a couple of things. Like if, if he is found guilty of sedition over the classified documents, that right. can, as my understanding, that can bar him from holding public office. Is that a sort but, of high crimes and misdemeanours type thing, is it? Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's it's like the highest sort of you know potential crime that there is. Yeah. So that would stop him, I believe, from holding office, but nothing else. So oh. he can be convicted of a whole bunch of felonies and misdemeanors, and uh, you know could even be uh, in jail and still be running the country. It's right. it's absolutely ridiculous. It's a bit of a shame that Biden is his age because he looks it. Yeah. You know he looks a little bit shuffly and. Every report just waiting for him to fall down the stairs, you know. <laughs> Wasn't there a Kennedy standing or talking about standing for for the Democrats? Wouldn't that name uh, have some gravity in the market? Yeah, it initially it did, but everyone's realised he's a really uh, a conspiracy theorist himself. Oh, and uh, as as nutty as a lot of the the right wing sort of conspiracy theorists, so he's essentially been written off as just a total lost cause. Right. So, you know, the, the general sort of public won't vote for him. He might get a few votes from his local constituency, but uh, he really won't won't get any, any major share of the vote. Right. So Biden pretty much has it on his own. Right. The we other can't thing, get Bill Clinton back again. He's had his time, has he? <laughs> yes, he's had his eight years. So uh, you can only hold office for eight years in the US to uh, four-year terms. One of the more interesting things that I don't know whether you picked this up in, in the Australian press, but yesterday there was a landmark decision, a case called Moore, Moore versus Harper, which is probably the biggest legal case in the US in, in maybe the last 250 years. Right. The Republican Party um, set up this, this case and took it up to the Supreme Court, saying that... The local courts in different states had no right to hear appeals on election disputes and that the state legislatures themselves would be the final say on whether there was any dispute on an election. Now, that means that the governors or those state legislatures could totally disregard the votes in the election and say, um, here's our slate of electors that we want to present, and no one could take it to court. This so is the electoral this was a, college representative, the electric, exactly, exactly, who are meant to follow the majority decision of the state, aren't they? Exactly. So whoever the people vote for, the elect determines those electors, and, and those are either Democrats or Republicans. But if this law had have passed yesterday, it would have meant that those state bodies, those state governments, could have said, no, we don't, we don't like that outcome. <laughs> we don't like the fact that Biden won. Uh, we're giving it all to Trump. And no one would have been able to take it to court to dispute it. They would have had sort of absolute power to do oh. that. So I don't, it doesn't seem to have been picked up by the press in a big way, but probably the biggest legal decision uh, people are saying for hundreds of years in the and, US. And, and it went against the Republican. Yes, yes, okay. it did, yeah. Because yeah. I, my understanding was that when the things got bad, uh, Trump then set about trying to set up the states so that this could yeah. never happen again. Is that right? Yeah, well... Yeah, so they they actually tried this in a few states, and there's a there's a big case in Georgia uh, against Trump at the moment that should should be handing out indictments shortly, and and he's top of the list. And they had prepared these fake sets of electors, and submitted them to the the court system to register them, basically, or to the electoral commission to register them um, in some states as alternatives. And then they were lobbying Mike Pence and other other politicians to say, when it came to counting the vote, that Mike should say, no, we're sending it back to the state to, uh, to look at um, the list of electors so they could submit their fake lists and then have those states votes cast in favour of Trump instead yep. of uh, Biden. It was uh, So they started that a couple of years ago and uh, this court case sort of pushed up to the Supreme Court because of it. Right. Interesting. There, there were some, some changes in some states, but essentially it's pretty much the same as, as it was right. um, and it should be about the same 
coming out of the blocks in the next election. Okay. And how do people feel about Trump and Putin? My understanding is there's still uh, a friendship that exists there, despite what might be going on at the state-to-state level. I mean, if he's elected president, what's going to happen about the war on Ukraine? Is he going to get in and support Russia? Well, Trump thinks of himself as the great fixer. And, you know, he's always sort of seen himself as the guy that can come in and make the deal, you know, cut the deal to make mm. it all, all, all happen. So that's the role that he thinks he has. And he thinks that having that relationship with Putin will allow him to sit down and say, uh, you know, come on, uh, Vlad, let's, let's, let's work this out. We'll, we'll sort of lobby to give you a bit of land if you'll sort of back off a little bit. Let's settle the whole thing and, you know, we'll, we'll work it out. He thinks he can do that, whereas no one else really does, but that's, mm. that's always been his way. Yeah, he, he does like uh, these these love affairs with uh, international dictators. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> Mr. Kim. Well, I guess interesting days, Phil. How far off do you think some of the decisions might be that could cause the indictment of of Donald J. Trump? Things well, coming up shortly. The um, there should be some indictments coming out of Georgia on the election interference case. The main case, really, the classified documents case, is scheduled for you know various court proceedings in August. They don't think it will actually get to court until November or December. So that's that's the main one on the mishandling of documents. The prosecutor has another thing up his sleeve. So this court, this case is actually happening in Florida with a judge that is very pro-Trump. So she's running that particular case, but because Trump actually shared the documents with some journalists and other people at another one of his properties in Bedminster in New Jersey, they might run another case which wasn't, uh, it's not a case around him having the documents or keeping them, it's around him uh, sharing the documents. So they have this second case sort of in their back pocket. If this one fails because of the judge interfering with the case, they'll just go up to New Jersey and and run this other one. So either way, they think they'll get him. Mm. (laughs) Is America still very much divided? It's becoming more sort of polarised almost every day. Really? Um, It's pretty scary what's happening. It's definitely a radicalisation of the US. Yeah. Um, The divide is very obvious. And, you know, when you travel to different states, you know you're in a red state versus a blue state. Never used to see that before. It was never really an issue. If you walk into a bar, you know, you've got all the... all the Trump supporter hats and uh, you just need to be careful about what you say. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, All right. But the the rhetoric is very strong. And and, and now we have, by the way, the rise of the sovereign citizen. Uh, Have you heard much about this uh, in Australia? No. What what is a sovereign citizen? Well, sovereign citizens are actually people uh, that believe that the federal laws and state laws don't apply to them so they claim that uh, <laughs> they are they'll often stand up and say i am a man of the land and i'm not uh, you know i'm not responsive to your laws and uh, nothing that you do replies to me the courts have no jurisdiction over me therefore you know i can do anything i like now what what tends to happen is so they jump in the car and drive down the highway and, and next thing there's six coppers following them because they've got no registration on their car and they get pulled over by the police they don't have a driver's license they don't have any registration they end up getting locked up but they put on these amazing sort of court cases and they've been flooding the courts with all this spurious documentation harking back to the, uh, the original sort of bill of rights and all, all kinds of things and it's, there, there's over a million people now that are a part of this movement across the US. You're kidding. No. And uh, some of them claim to be, uh, by the way, of Moorish descent and claiming that there was a, an agreement between the Moorish nation and America back in the 1800s that gave them certain rights, which it didn't. But, so they, they cherry-pick little pieces of legislation. Now... So I've been fascinated by this, and if you uh, want to take a look at it, look up Sovereign Citizen Fail on YouTube, and you'll see hundreds of these guys being arrested or having their car windows smashed and being dragged out the window of the vehicles. Wow. But um, 
it's actually spread to Australia. I've seen a number of Australians doing the same thing now, claiming to be sovereign citizens and uh, saying that they, you know, the local police have no jurisdiction over them. And it's, uh, it's becoming a worldwide movement. There's a bunch in, in Scotland and in Ireland as well, so it's well, actually spreading. We, we had Prince Leonard of Hutt Province in Western Australia who set up his own little fiefdom over there. I, rem- I remember that, yeah. That was pretty yeah. uh, mundane. He issued postage stamps and stuff. But, you yeah. know, if, if this group turns into a branch Davidian and uh, wants to uh, fortify itself in a complex and has access to all this amazing uh, gun technology that America just seems to keep producing, um, yeah. then who knows where it could all end? Yeah, well, it's just another, you know, weird aspect of American life, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, there there have always been people who have been anti-establishment. I mean, you know, the hippies in the 60s and so on. But this has taken it to a whole new level. So they're, they're still like the hippies of the 60s and the 70s, but they're using or trying to use the law to support their almost succession from the US. It's not wow. working, but the, there's about a million of them now doing it. So it, it's interesting okay. to see. That's fascinating. No, I, I, I'm unaware of that, but I guess I will, I will be now. I'll have to look it up myself. Unusual correspondent Phil Brown there was speaking with Graham Kemlow. Travel Rider Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you've got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds? She'll beat you if she's able You're the queen of hearts Is always your best bet Now it seems to me That some fine things Have been laid upon your table But you only want the ones That you can't get Oh, you ain't getting younger Pain and your hunger They're driving you home And freedom, oh, freedom That's just some people talking Prison is walking world all alone Don't your feet get cold in the winter time The sky won't snow and the sun won't shine It's hard to tell the night time from the
Now, Rita, the fact that we just played Desperado by uh, Celtic Thunder has nothing to do with the previous story, OK? It's a fact that we just introduce a little bit it's of Ireland. And Rita Ehrlich's been on the move again, and she's not alone. She recently spent a few days in Dublin after a gap of about five years, and she's noticed some striking changes. She thinks she had the luck of the Irish when she was there and gives a few recommendations to her favourite parts of the city. Everyone's on the move again, travelling after the years of lockdown. We've been talking about that on the show for a while, but I got to see it firsthand recently. I was on a cruise that ended in Dublin. I'll talk about that another time, the cruise I mean. It's been five years since I was last in Dublin, and I had very clear memories of the city. Five years ago, Dublin felt very Irish. A month ago, it felt much more European. I don't remember Dublin with so many people in it. Was that because of the number of tourists and all the different languages heard on the streets? Partly, but I also think it's the result of Brexit. If you're part of the European Union and want to go somewhere to improve your English, where do you go? especially if you're a student. Ireland is within the European Union. It is so much simpler to travel there. I met two groups of Austrian students who were on a 10-day tour of Ireland. They were school students and they had clear assignments. The first group of three stopped us in St Stephen's Green to ask us questions about Irish history. Presumably they were going to go back to report on how many people they stopped were well informed. A day later, another group of three, whose first question was what we felt about the number of tourists. We're two of them, I said, so I can't complain. They then asked how we would describe the Irish we encountered. Odd question, but I said, friendly. And one of the girls smiled and said, that's what everyone says. I then asked where they were from. Vienna, said the girl, and no one says the Viennese are friendly. The friendliness manifested itself in various ways. There was the man who came up to us when we were reading the menu posted outside a restaurant. He came to tell us just how good it was. He lived locally and he knew. You'll need to book, he advised. He was right. The thing I noticed was how many restaurants were fully booked when I tried to reserve a table. The friendliness is all about the unsolicited good advice. We were at the National Bank of Ireland and someone told us to go to the exhibition of the work of the great Nobel Prize winning poet Seamus Heaney. The bank has set aside an area for that, for that exhibition. And then someone else chipped in, there's a guided tour in 15 minutes, take it. Best advice I got. Even if you think you don't care for poetry, go, take the tour. Had I done nothing else, that would have made the trip to Dublin worthwhile. And as for a poet and how he's regarded in his own country... Heaney's standing in Ireland was such that when the announcement of his death was made at the start of a football match, every single person in the stadium got to their feet for a minute's silence. That exhibition will convince you, particularly the exhibition with the tour, will convince you of the importance of poets and poetry. There are more souvenir shops than I would have thought possible, all selling the same things, it seems. I checked. Mostly things were made in Ireland, which is a positive. So, my guide to Dublin. The museums are notably good. Start with the Museum of Immigration, which is quite brilliant. I won't tell you how it works, but it shows very, very cleverly how history can be explained, how stories can be told. It is very crowded now. The first director, who moved 
on Elsewhere since was the director of the Immigration Museum in Melbourne. When we were there, we were told our tickets were valid for three days, and that's really useful. There's a lot to take in on a single visit. Next museum, which is in two parts. The National Museum of Ireland has an archaeological section in a building that's so grand it's worth the visit for that. And although 10,000 years may not seem that much in the context of Aboriginal history in Australia, it's remarkable to find out what we know and can deduce from what's been found. The buried hoards of treasure, for example, the gold, the amber, the evidence of travels and trade. And then there are the bog people. They're the people who were buried thousands and thousands of years ago, preserved in bogs, often found not so long ago when farmers were ploughing. A lot can be told about the violence of the society from those bog people. Again, take a tour if it's on offer. That's my advice all along. They're usually for very small groups and hugely informative. And you get to ask questions too. If you go to Trinity College, as you should, students are the ones who will guide you around. Trinity College, among its other distinctions, houses the Book of Kells. That's the illuminated manuscript, the four books of the Gospels, dating from about 800, written and illustrated by monks on the island of Iona. The second part of the National Museum of Ireland is housed in a form of barracks and is in, divided into history and decorative arts. When I was there, the decorative art section included an exhibition of the fashion created by E. Bjorgensen. Oh, the pleasure of seeing beautifully designed and crafted clothes that are wearable. And a heartbreaking exhibition by glass artist Alison Lowry that's her response to the awfulness of the mother and baby homes. Oh, did I mention the food and the drink? What's Dublin without its pubs? There are so many of them. Of course, each with its own character and its own music. No wonder the Irish pub became an export. I always thought that if there were a levy payable on Irish pubs outside the country that went back to Ireland, it would make quite a difference to the economy. Everyone knows Guinness, but don't ignore the red ale, which is a favourite of mine and take your time to explore the range of whiskies, The Irish whiskies, that is. One pub I went to had a list of about 30 of them. Eating in pubs? Beware the sandwich at lunch. Beware? Not because it's bad. They're very good. But they are of considerable size and come with chips. So be hungry. Be very hungry. Fish and seafood are exceptional. One of the best places for me was Matt the Thresher, a pub noted for its food. It changes the specials of fish from lunch to dinner. That's a place for fresh seafood. Another place I like a lot, the Winding Stair, one of a very good group. The name is Apt. Be careful if you're having trouble going up and down stairs. Like all the places I liked, it puts its emphasis on Irish grown. Beef is also an Irish thing. Look out for FX Buckley, specialist butchers that also have a group of restaurants. Getting round is pretty simple. There are lots of buses, though the bus routes were always a bit of mystery to me, and two tram lines, red and green. They take you to most of the places you'll want to see in the city. Tickets are available at the stops. You'll need two, small change, just over two euros a journey. Or if you can get to the main tourist office, you can buy a 72-hour pass that enables you to travel on whatever you like, as often as you like. So often in Dublin particularly in the museums, there's the matter of the ongoing conflict with the English that so marked the course of Irish history. 
read the panels in St. Stephen's Green, too, that that tells some of the story of the Easter uprising. It made me think a lot about the ways in which we can acknowledge the past without being trapped in it. A visit to Dublin, at least to me, shows how it might be done. That was Rita Ehrlich on returning to Dublin, Ireland, post-pandemic and post-Brexit. And that brings our first hour to a close. But do stay tuned to JE Air 88FM as we'll be back out for this short break. Free as the wind, free as the clouds, free as a song when you sing it out loud. There ain't no stopping or slowing down. Let's be wild and free. We are the wild. We are the free, and our fire burns eternally. We'll travel far, far as the eyes can see. 